Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. Uh, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Got a really cool guest today. Really stoked um, about the conversation we had and him coming on. His name is Hunter Smith. He's actually one of the founding members of the Heart Collective and uh, really grateful and uh, excited to share this conversation with you. Someone that has joined the community. He was one of the founding members when I first launched in November. Uh, we talk all about that and the community in the podcast. Um, but man, Hunter's just a, a great guy. Um, he's a little bit younger. Uh, just got out of uh, the NHL. He's a, he's a hockey player. Uh, we share a little bit about his journey through, you know, his playing days, uh, his transition, some of the unique challenges that he faced, and um, you know why he decided to join the Heart Collective and the impact that it's had on his life. Um, just really grateful to have a conversation and share. Um, know, kind of behind the scenes stuff of what we're working on with the Heart Collective, just really trying to bring the energy of it to the world. Um, if you are a former pro athlete uh, looking for a community and you're interested in joining, um, definitely reach out to me or you can check out and, and learn more about the community through our website at the Heart Collective. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. A lot of good stuff up there. We have a lot of different um different things we're creating through the, through the community. Uh, really stoked about it. We have our first retreat uh, coming up in June in Colorado. And then we have another retreat coming up in September, which is a whitewater rafting experience out in nature, disconnecting from this busy, busy, busy world and reconnecting with ourselves and nature and unplugging a little bit. And I went on this trip last year, met the owners uh, of a company called Adrift, and they actually sold me one of their permits. Uh, so we're going to create a retreat experience on the river. It's the first weekend of September. Um, and then we have a lot of amazing other experiences that are in the works. Um, and you know, being a part of the community is, is really powerful. Um, and it's cool. There's, there's guys that are super involved. They drop into every single call, every single masterclass that we have. And then there's guys that, you know, drop in occasionally. And there's some guys that are just on the app. Uh, we have an app that we use to stay connected. Um, a lot of cool content. We communicate through that. Uh, and if you are a member, you get access to all of it and you get discounts to the retreat. Um, you don't have to be a member to join the retreats either. You just get discounted rates. Um, so if it's something you're interested in, even to follow along, uh, we are providing content to non-athletes as well. So if you uh, are not an athlete, not a former athlete, but you still want to be involved in the community and learn some of the stuff that we're working on, um, the self-development stuff, uh, different practices, go to the Heart Collective, check it out. We have a whole non-athlete page. You can put your email in there and stay up to date with all the things we're creating through our master classes, bringing on um, coaches, experts, thought leaders in a wide variety of different fields on different topics. Um, 
already launched a couple of them and they're just really incredible. Uh, we talk about, um, the value that they add to Hunter in his life. Um, and yeah, really stoked about it. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And if there's anything I can do to support you or you want to learn more, reach out to me, definitely reach out to Hunter. He's got a really cool podcast called quarter life crisis. Uh, was that QLC? He calls it. Uh, so definitely check out that that will all be in the show notes. And if you haven't yet, check out my other podcast, Quantum Coffee. Um, have some amazing conversations, uh, more geared around the unanswerable questions of the universe, spirituality, God, beliefs, ideologies, all the fun stuff that is supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics, right? But I love talking about it all because we don't really know. Just discussing it's a lot of fun. So go check out Quantum Coffee. I also have a premium feed for my Quantum Coffee supporters. It's $7 a month. And if you sign up, you get access to amazing um, extended conversations um, on the podcast. Also, we're doing live podcasts where you can actually drop in and interact with the guest as we're recording the podcast, which I think is really, really cool. And I'm going to be doing um, little short uh, Mindful Monday episodes um, for those of you are our premium members. And so if you feel called to support the podcast um, financially and receiving that premium content, it's only $7 a month. The links will be in the show notes. That's for quantum coffee. And if you want to support this podcast and help it grow, the best way to do that is to leave a review, rate the podcast and share it with somebody, you know, that you think might resonate with the, with the conversation. Um, if you know a former athlete or anybody that's going through transition, I think there's a lot of lessons in these conversations and on this podcast, that's really the intention behind it is to really share the journey of transitioning out of sports. Um, but I think that's a relatable journey for anybody that's going through any type of big transition, which if you look out in the world, I think all of us are at this point. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough to navigate, especially alone. So find your community, uh, find the people that resonate with you that you can learn from and grow together and navigate these uncertain times uh, with grace and love and presence. That's what we're doing at the Heart Collective. I uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, without further ado, enjoy this conversation. Hunter, what's up, man? How you doing? Not too much, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing great. It's a, it's a beautiful day out here in Austin. It's uh been rainy the last couple of days it's crazy how much the the weather affects my mood like changes everything like the sun coming out I like i feel so much more happy and bright and it's weird for sure honestly springtime here has been like kind of like warm and cold like there was one day where all of a sudden it just snowed like two inches and everyone woke up and was like what the hell is going on but uh no, I know the canada right you're in canada yeah just like southern ontario so we had a little bit of snow in the middle of april but um, now like the, everything's budding and, uh, actually it was crazy. I was, I like work out in the morning and I always work out outside. So I came back from a run and was doing some like planks, um, in my backyard. And when I rolled over after I was kind of staring like up into the tree and like everything was just like, it was just like the little buds, um, like that were ready to start like sprouting and become leaves. And the next like morning was just so sunny. And I actually, then now there's like full leaves. And I literally think like, that's how quick it happens. Like once the heat and the sun comes, like if you put a time-lapse video for a few hours, like you get the whole leaf, like just completely blooming. Yeah. It's fascinating how, how nature works and how fast it does happen. I, like I sit in my, I have a little hot tub. It's a blow up hot tub from Amazon. It's like 500 bucks. It's incredible. So like I get my money's worth cause I go in it like two or three times a day. <laughs> my, my physical body's in such trauma. We can talk about that with the, with the athletic journey. Um, 
but I find myself going in there and I sit down and there's this tree that is kind of in my backyard and I just sit there and I kind of contemplate quite a bit and I just always look at that tree and it's fascinating how I like sat at when I first got the hot tub it was like winter and it was just branches and like how it's like I always look up there and I'm like oh the tree is different like week to week day to day it's like more leaves different color leaves it's fascinating it progresses quickly. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Uh, how do you handle, um, how do you handle the, the winter up in, uh, in Canada? Is it, it's not like Alaska where the days are shorter, is it? No, not like we, well, obviously we just have like the regular like time change and then it's just like, yeah, we get like still like eight hours, of, seven hours of sun, yeah. eight hours of sun. You like but the cold? No. So after, uh, like I grew up here and was fine with it. Loved it. Like loved winter sports, all that stuff would be on the pond playing hockey for hours. Like you wouldn't be able to get me inside as a kid. And then when I turned pro, I moved to California and played out there. And ever since I've just been different. I've like my water. I'm California like, will do that to you. Yeah. Like I'm like warm blooded now. I'm just, as soon as it gets near freezing, I'm just like, no, I can't do this. This is not, yeah, this is not a it. good life. Yeah. Well, let's talk <laughs> a little bit about your uh, athletic journey. Um, and, and, you know, I'm really excited to have you on because you're the first member, um, uh, of the heart collective that's actually in the community that I'm building um, that's on the podcast. So I'm excited to kind of share um, your perspective on, you know, what you've gotten out of the community. We can kind of dive into what the community is about. Um, I'd love to share that with the audience kind of behind the scenes stuff. Um, but let's talk about your story, your athletic journey. Um, you know, you're, you're the only hockey player that I have in the community too, which is really awesome. But, you know, take us back to, to a little bit of your, kind of highlights of your athletic journey and then leading up to uh, the transition out. For sure. I think it was like kind of an, I don't want to say an underdog story because that's probably a little bit untrue, but I was always the kid with hockey that I could never skate. And that's what everyone always told me my whole life. And it was that way until I retired. The The GMs were always saying, you can't skate, you can't skate. It's not going to work. So I think just being a big guy, like I'm six foot seven, was like 230 pounds and like growing into that body young was so difficult because I was almost like Bambi on ice. Like I did have a lot of issues with balance and skating and, and really kind of growing into my body as it matured. But, um, when I did mature is when everything clicked and, uh, I'll never forget it. We were sitting there, um, at like a spring training camp in, uh, in junior hockey. And it was, after my second year in the OHL and I'd been drafted in the second round. So like I was kind of a, like junior hockey, like I was kind of a high prospect still and expected to do well. And in this meeting, like the coach just looked at me and he said, we're expecting a big year this year. And he's like, Hunter Smith, like, what have you done in this league? What have you proven? And you're a second round draft pick. Like you haven't proven anything. And it just resonated with me that it was like, it's now or never. Cause kind of your 18 year old year is like your big coming out party usually. Um, and that's the year I was headed into. And I came home that summer. I didn't party. I didn't go out. I didn't hang out with friends. I went to the gym in the morning, came home, ate chicken and rice, went to the yoga studio in the afternoon, like stretched out. Um, and then like made sure I was skating, shooting pucks, like doing everything I could um, to make my 18 year old year, the best year it could be. Wow. Focus and, is such a young age, man. That's impressive. And it was, it was crazy. Like I've talked to both buddies before and they're like, we do not know what happened to you that summer. Like we like, it was You're like on a mission. Yeah, exactly. So what happened actually is I got, I was fortunate enough to 
score a couple goals in the exhibition season. And then the home or the opening game of the season was in my hometown against my hometown team. So I had like 40 family members there. Cause like it was the first time they were going to see me play in junior hockey. And I ended up getting like an assist in the first period. And to this point in my career, I'd played like 45 games, had like two points, which is not a lot at all. And I got an assist in the first period. And all of a sudden I like my confidence started like growing just like that much more. And in the third period, we were tied. I ended up getting in the game winner with five minutes to play. And my confidence Ooh. just skyrockets. Yeah. Then the next night, we play like an hour and a half, a team an hour and a half away. And we get scored on. They tied the game with a minute left. Coach puts our line on the ice. I score with 12 seconds left. And I have two game-winning goals back-to-back nights. And this is like, this just put all that hard work that I had in the summer into fruition and proved to me that I did the right things. My confidence took off from there and I ended up having an amazing year that year. And I actually missed my first NHL draft. So this was the second draft that I was entering this year and ended up getting picked in the second round by the Calgary flames in the NHL draft. Yeah. So it was my second time through. Cause like I, they passed me up the first time cause they were like, no, no, no. Where I know like NFL, you have to like declare. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually like a year older than I was supposed to be when I got picked. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting drafted in the second round, like huge honor, especially being that late pick that's kind of showed the value that I had proven. And I remember at the combine, every team I interviewed with was like, dude, like what's going on here? Like you had zero points last year. Now you have 45. We've never seen this. How does this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially being a big guy, like I was, like I was a fighter, I was aggressive. And all of a sudden they saw that. And I think that year, uh, whoever won the Stanley cup, they had a bunch of big guys. So they always like model the next draft yeah, picks sure. after who's like, who's showing success. So, yep. um, that was great for me, but ended up returning to juniors the next year. Um, was very fortunate. We won the Memorial cup, which is like the national championship for like Canadian junior hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge honor. And it's funny cause I like talk to guys that like played college and I'm like, Oh, like you played college sports against like this athlete and this athlete. And like, I forget that when I played junior hockey, like we beat two of the best players in the world. We beat Connor McDavid in the OHL final. And then we beat Leon Dreisaitl in the uh, Memorial cup tournament final. So, um, you played against they, good, good talent. Yeah. So you like, there's a lot of great talent that comes through these. Like those were huge moments for me. And just like such an honor. Like I've watched, players win the Memorial cup. Um, my hometown team won the Memorial cup two years when I was like 13 and 14. So to win it like five years later was insane. Like, you know, just to kind of pull that all into fruition. Yeah, man. So, so, I mean, I'm sure the work ethic when those guys, how does the draft work in the NHL? How many rounds are there? Seven. Seven rounds, so it's similar to the NFL. Yeah. Um, so when every when all the teams are doing the, the the combine interviews and stuff, they're obviously very impressed because they're like, "What happened?" And you're you're like, "I just am focused. My work ethic has been impeccable." And it's really cool to have a story of when you do decide to focus and put that energy into something, how it does show up in your play, especially in sports, because being an athlete, the difference between the the, the you know a good player and a great player is the way they show up, you know, off the off the ice or off the field. And that shows up in exponential play on the field. So take us through um, the journey. You get drafted, you go back to juniors. Was that a disappointment or is that kind of how the process usually works? Generally, that's how like the first few picks of the draft, like maybe top 10 have a chance at making the team. Um, Generally outside of that, not really. Um, 
so wasn't too stressed about it um, at all. Just kind of like was going through the ranks. You And you can't turn pro until you're 20 uh, unless you're playing in the NHL. You got to go down to the American League and the American League is a minimum 20-year-old league. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I went back to juniors. We ended up uh, winning the Memorial Cup, like I said. And then the next year after that, it was actually a, probably the best month of my life. We won the Memorial Cup. And then a week after that, my like agent calls me and he's like, here's the contract from Calgary. And I'm like, obviously over the moon, like every dream I've ever had as a, as a Canadian kid has just come to fruition. So couldn't have been happier. And then but, so, so what happens after that? So after that, you turn 20, go to NHL camp and I'm just like starstruck. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm like so ready to turn pro. Like I had a great attitude, everything. And you're used to being the guy in junior and then getting sent down to the American League to the minors, it's just like, oh no, here we go again. And then you get to the American League and you're like, oh, like I'm in the minors here. Like I'm going to light it up. Then all of a sudden I'm playing on the fourth line. I'm not getting into some games. I'm just getting healthy scratched. Just like bad stuff like that. And you just start kind of like unwinding. And then all that confidence that I was growing for years and years and years just kind of fell off a cliff. Mm, yeah. And big internal journey at that point, huh? Because I had the same thing. I mean, yeah. I'm always the best player on every team that I played on. Best player in high school is one of the best players in the state. Went to a smaller school, UNLV, but I was one of the high, I think I was the highest drafted offensive lineman out of the school. And then I go to the Falcons and I'm around the best players in the world. And I'm like, oh man. And there's this a little bit of imposter syndrome that I had to deal with. It was like, and it was, it's like such a dichotomy, I feel like you know, definitely my journey, but I think this is relatable to a lot of athletes, especially at such a high level is like, there's this inner dichotomy of on one side, like I, you have to believe that you're the best player on the field or else you're not, you're going to get, you know, exposed. But then there's the society that feels like, I don't like, what am I doing here? Like, am I going to get exposed? Like, I don't belong here. I feel like an imposter. And it's like, you need to find balance within both of those, because if you lean too far one way, you're going to get shuffled out. And if you lead too too far like you're the best player then you're going to be too cocky and you're not going to have the work ethic to prove yourself so it's like finding balance between that and when I went to the the um my rookie year like I I I wanted to play so bad I mean the reason I went to a small school like UNLV is because I wanted to play right away like I loved the game that much I wanted to play and I felt like I wasn't even contributing if I wasn't on the field playing in the game I didn't even feel like a part of the team and that was the first year my entire career that um, I was a backup and it was so hard for me to like you know, just fitting in with the offensive line that was like, they're all in their thirties. They all had families. They had been playing together for years. So I just felt like so out of place. And then I couldn't actually prove myself on the field and like earn their respect because I didn't have that opportunity. That was one of the hardest years of my life. It was like such a huge struggle to try and work through that. I would say the imposter syndrome was the biggest thing for me, for sure. I, as soon as I showed up, I just like kind of saw like names that, I'd seen on TV and on like sports center all the time. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't belong. I can't keep up with this guy. I can't skate with this guy. I can't pass like this guy. And that kind of ate away at me bad. And it was funny because I've talked about before, um, my first NHL, like preseason shift, I hop over the boards and blacked out puck came to me, turned it over. The defense got it back gave it right back to me. I turned it over again. And it was like, I was like, get me off this ice as quick as possible. And, uh, right after that got off the ice 
And a coach came down the bench that uh, I knew at the time a little bit better than anyone else and just kind of was like, all right. He's like, Brig, it's over. Calm down. He's like, play hockey now. And I was fine the rest of the game. No issues after that. But it was funny, like that first shift, I was just like. That was the first time you had stepped on the ice ever in that situation. Yeah. And I was just like, I just forgot how to play hockey. It was, it was so funny, but then you get sent down to the American league. And like you said, you're down there and guys are uh, all of a sudden I went from playing with 19 year old, 20 year old, 16 year old kids. And now I'm playing with guys that are 32 that have three kids and guys that are talking about like, because talk about like mortgaging second properties and buying this and their vacation homes. And I'm like, guys, like, what are you talking about? Like I have a car that like I had from juniors, you know what I'm saying? Like, So that, that struggle is, is, is real and it's, it makes you grow up very, very quickly. And I feel like as athletes, that's kind of life experience that we have over everyone that, you know, some people won't find until their mid twenties, mid thirties. And you, and you get it at like the ripe age of 19 or 20. Yeah, totally. Talk about the, uh, the rest of your career, how it kind of unfolded from that moment and into uh, when you finally uh, walked away from the game. Yeah. So it was funny, actually, like I was always injury free my whole career, never an issue, Um, never broke a bone until I was 21 years old. So uh, it was my second year pro in Stockton in the American League. And um, I got in a fight and I was like, I had to step up. A guy kind of got hit, got in a fight. And it was another like 22 year old um, kid, but big, tough kid hit me square on the jaw. I broke my jaw. I like, he knocked me out. I fell back on the ice, woke up like holding him, and was like, Oh my God, what just happened? And I remember just like rolling over and my trainer's like running on the ice as I'm skating off. And I look at him, I'm like, I just broke my jaw. And he's like, okay, we'll see. And I was at the time it was like, my tongue wouldn't sit down in my mouth properly. So I knew it was completely broken. And as soon as we got like the blood cleaned up, the doctor just took the towel off for a second. He's like, it's broken. You need to go to the hospital. So, uh, that was the first bone I broke. And that was actually the last time I was ever on the ice in the American league, which is super unfortunate for me and like super disappointing because the next year, the third year, my contract went back, got sent down to the American league. It got sent down to the East coast league, which is one league below that. And, uh, like halfway through the season was standing in front of the net, uh, slap shot from the point hit me square on the thumb, thumb shattered into 15 pieces. And then again, it was another half season gone. Cause uh, that happened like the start of January and I was done for the rest of the year. It was like 16 week recovery. And I was like, okay, like this is not good. So contracts finished that year with Calgary. Um, and then I was kind of limited options, what I could do from there. So I ended up signing an East coast deal in the minors, just trying to make it with a local, not a local team, but a team close to home, uh, the Toledo walleye. And I was like, okay, here's my last shot at it. I'm going to give it a go. And seven games into the season, what happens? Guy goes to lift my stick, breaks my right thumb again. The same finger that I just broken. Uh, did you have a rod or anything? I mean, you said, did it literally break in 15 pieces? Oh yeah, it was like it was. There's I'm uh, breaking to 15 pieces. I don't even know if there's enough bone to have 15 pieces. Yeah, it just got pinched between my sticks. So there's uh, a plate and like five screws in there. Just kind of like everything's just like suctioned together. It's it's a mess. So you broke that again. So then I so that I broke the tip bone of my thumb. Then next. Oh my god. Yeah, and I remember 
as soon as that happened, I kind of like had my inner monologue talking and I was like, it's over. Like mm. there's nothing I can do at this point. And, uh, I was out 12 weeks from that. And then we ended up going on a bit of a playoff run. We made it to the finals and lost. And I think the proudest moment of my career, um, was that playoff run in Toledo because, I was a 24 year old or 23 years old. Uh, it was my fourth year pro, which is kind of uncommon uh, in the coast. There's usually a lot of um, like guys coming out of NCAA that are, they're like rookies and they're 23 or 24. So I had a lot more pro experience than a lot of guys. And at the after the last game of the season, the coach asked me, he said, do you want to be on the playoff roster? Because you can only assign so many guys to the playoff roster. And they just wanted to make sure like I wanted to be around still. Because if not, they would have brought someone else. But they were like, "We, you might not play at all. So I actually sat in the stands for the entire playoffs and just kind of was like, I'll call it like a mentor to the rookies that were like 19, 20 years old that were struggling in their own struggles. And mm -hmm. I was just like, they were in the first years of their NHL contracts. And I was like, guys, like keep working. Like it's not, it's okay that you're in the coast. Like you can get out of this. Like just keep working hard. And what ended up happening is in the finals, we uh, we lost two guys to injury. I ended up having to go in the lineup, um, played the last four games of my career, and I actually ended up scoring on like my second last shift. Uh, so like it was, yeah, like it was it was a pretty nice bit of closure for me. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Did you know before that you you had that opportunity that it was going to be your last year? Or was that uh, I said it was like my last shot, and if to like excel. If I ended up getting called up and like kind of started making things happen, I would have gave it a bigger shot, uh, probably another year. Um, but as soon as I kind of got hurt and I knew I wasn't getting called up, it was like, it's over. And so you knew when you get, when you went in the playoffs, like that was your last chance to really. Yeah. So I was really just, it. I was honestly like really present because I was just trying to enjoy it. I knew it was gonna be my last time having coffee with the guys in the room. It was going to be my last time. Like, hanging out, like having a couple beers, stuff like that, that I knew I was never going to get back. Mm. And in the end, it became a blessing in disguise based on what happened the next year when everything ended because of COVID. And I know so many guys whose careers ended without that closure. Mm -hmm. So I'm so thankful for myself that it was on my terms. I had my closure with it and was able to process it all kind of yeah, man. on my own I got a very similar similar story man it's like the, the the last year of my career um you know i lost my starting job for the fifth time going into the eighth season and um i was on the sidelines like i in the nfl they have they dress seven linemen and so i was competing as a center for the starting center job and they brought a younger guy in and we were competing it wasn't really a competition they kind of just brought me back to mentor him that's what i know now um so they ended up giving him the job and so they have a backup usually that plays center and guard. So they had a different guy. So I was actually inactive on the sidelines in my street clothes for the majority of the year. And I knew that was going to be my final year. So I was very present the whole time, like all the, the, the challenges that come with the NFL season, all the good times. Like I was just very present, like enjoying it, soaking it all in, like knowing this is going to be my last time to play. And like, I think it was week, there was like six weeks to go. And I was on the sidelines and two of our offensive linemen went on IR with season ending injuries. And so I knew the following week, like, oh, wow, like I'm up. It was the center and a guard. So then I had to go play. And it was really beautiful because I went through like for a week leading up to that game. And there's like a whole backstory that happened. But I pretty much went through this like internal, like can't like imposter syndrome to the to the max. Like, can I still perform? Like if I go out there and because in the NFL season, 
it's one thing playing in training camp and then you have to like playing the games to stay in game shape because mm-hmm. I think it was week 12, week 13. Like I've been not playing for three months and the practices get considerably easier as the season goes along because all the starters, there's only so many bodies. So all the starters are getting worn out physically. So the practices almost become like walkthroughs at that point. So I hadn't actually had like game time feel. Can I do this? And I had to go. But the guys on the other team that are starters uh, that have been playing the whole year, like they're, they've now kicked it to the next gear. Like they're getting like playoff mode at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going out there and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Like I might embarrass myself on national TV. Like there's people's literally like lives on the line. Like if I don't, block this guy like he could kill the quarterback and like get him seriously hurt and so all these stories were coming to my mind like man can I still play with these guys and I I had saw seen the light at the end of the tunnel so I was kind of starting to lose weight too I wasn't I was trying to stay in shape because I knew if my number was called I didn't want to let the team down but I, I didn't have anything after that season to like play for and I thought it was really beautiful the universe kind of gave me this opportunity to to go play rather than like not having that opportunity to play finally and having that story of like, man, I just, maybe I'm washed up. Maybe my body couldn't do it anymore. Maybe I'm just not good enough to play with the best in the world anymore. But those final four games that I played, I played some of the best football of my entire life. And I just totally locked it down. And I'm really grateful that I had that chance and that opportunity. Cause when I was, when I was done, I was like, okay, I'm walking away on my own terms. This is my decision. It's not because I can't play with the best in the world anymore. So I really relate with you on that. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, you, you almost like don't want to hold on to it too tight. And I think I struggled a lot with that um, kind of recently getting out of the game. Um, just like, am I not giving it enough? Did I not give it enough? And I just realized it was, it was okay to let, let go of your dream. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember, um, I think it was before my second, before my third year um, pro, I was at training camp and I'd read a book the previous year called Think Like a Freak. And there's a chapter in it called like, or it has to do with like the process of quitting and why it's good. And I remember going to Indigo or chapters or whatever in Calgary, just grabbed it off the shelf, opened it to that chapter and read that chapter. And I specifically remember that was two years before I retired. I was almost like, it's time to walk away. Oh, like gave you permission. Yeah. So it's just like, it really did just kind of like help with all the closure of everything that it wasn't like you went to another training camp and then there was like nobody who wanted to sign you. And then it was like, okay, like now no one just wants me kind of deal. Mm, So letting it get to that point, I feel like a lot of athletes just, they grind until the wheels fall off until like they've been told no enough. And then they're finally like, ah, like what else can I do? But there's, there's some, yeah, it feels good to have that. That's some pride in the fact that like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to like allow myself to let this go before it, the game tells me that like, Hey, you're, there's something else out there for you. This isn't it anymore. And that's an identity thing that a lot of athletes, I think every athlete in some level has to go through and deal with. And you're so fresh in it. I mean, you just were done at the beginning of COVID you said, so yeah. how have you handled that transition? And what was it like when you finally, cause this is one thing when the the idea of retiring and walking away kind of starts sprouting itself in your awareness. Um, and then, you know, there's another, another thing entirely when you actually walk away and the finality of it and like having to process the, 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 the unique challenges that come with that, they can't really prepare for. So talk a little bit about your journey with the, the finality of the decision and, and how you're, uh, how you navigated that. So, like I said, we played to the finals, my final year. So we ended in like, like June 10th or something. So we were like pretty far along, like almost into summer. And usually when the hockey season ends, it's two weeks to yourself of maybe like some like light yoga or something, just so you're like kind of moving your body. Um, and then two weeks after that, you start getting back into the gym. 
So for once, there was no getting back into the gym. It was kind of everything that you want to do is on your own terms. So I'll never forget being home. And I just had nothing to do at all. And I, I didn't have to go to the gym. I didn't have to do anything. And the other problem was, is my buddies at this point had all graduated university and they're all working full-time. So Monday to Friday, they're not like, oh, let's go screw off and do this. It's like, dude, I have to work today. And I really kind of had some like identity issues with like, what am I going to do now? Like, I have to, I have to start on this path kind of deal. So I'll never forget. I was like, I'll just get a part-time job just something to fill my weeks. And that way I don't have to worry about anything. Like I don't, I can have some like a little bit of cash and just go out on the weekends, Friday, Saturday with my friends. So I like through a friend, I ended up getting this job as a landscaper and I'll never forget. I showed up to this building at 7am. No one was there. Couldn't find anyone. Like an hour later, finally someone shows up, hand me a weed whacker and they own this giant property. Um, that's like a grocery, it's like a plaza, like a big grocery store, all these like stores and there's weeds coming out of the cracks and around coming out of the curbs. So he hands me his weed whacker and he says, you got to go weed whack all the grass you see coming out of the concrete, weed whack all that. So I held this weed whacker for eight hours and just like did this whole parking lot. It was the most influential eight hours of my life. And I went in at the end of the day and I handed them back their time card and the weed whacker. And I said, thank you so much. I will not be coming back tomorrow. And it was literally at that moment, I came home and I told my mom, I said, mom, I'm signing up for school. Mm. I said, I realized based on my resume, kind of what my options were at that point. And it wasn't looking too glamorous. Like I had the chance maybe to get lucky and slide in somewhere with someone I knew that could kind of put me on the right path. But at that point I was like, I need something more and I need education to do it. Mm, that's a huge lesson right there to actually viscerally experience what life could be like. And you obviously have a bigger vision for yourself, but it is hard trying to figure it out in that, that transition transition stage. Um, so what do you, what's your vision with going to school? Like, what is, what is it that you do want to create? Is it, it's not just something that, you know, you, you went to fill the time. There's, there's obviously an intention behind it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny cause it's pretty, it is pretty cookie cutter, but I always like love numbers. I've always been like kind of a math guy. And, uh, I remember in high school, like I always loved my accounting courses. They were my favorite courses. So I was like, okay, let's go down the accounting route. Both my parents are business people. So signed up for like uh, business commerce at the University of Windsor, my hometown. And my mom is like an entrepreneur. She's like a franchisee. So, and then my dad is a uh, investment advisor. And I just knew that like, I wanted something to do with that, but I wasn't like quite sure what. And then I also know like 70% of entrepreneurs, even if I want to do something on my own, are educated people. Mm. And like the success rate is way higher. So I was like, even if I don't actually use this and go get my accounting designation and become an accountant, what I'm doing is I'm just putting the building blocks in place to make this way easier. Mm. Not kind of a, let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks kind of deal. Like let's, let's build a foundation and then we can make a strategy to keep moving forward. Mm. Talk about the challenges with 
going back to school at your age when you talked about all your kind of friends? Because, I mean, for me, football is a, a different journey, right? Like I go to college and then go to the pros. It's like that's pretty standard for every player in the NFL. But hockey is a lot different. You had an opportunity to go play the sport before education or going to college. And all your friends are in the workforce. They're already kind of on their path. They're, you know, you've talked about how they – it, it feels as if they're already got a head start on you in life and you're kind of still stuck in school. Talk about that journey and how you deal with that navigating when you're the one going back to school at, at your age. It's, it's difficult and it's definitely hard not to benchmark yourself against your closest peers. And I think that was the biggest thing that I struggled with. And another thing I'll never forget is the first day when I walked into my first university class, um, this kid turned around and he looked right at me and I knew that I knew him. And I was like, man, this kid is like seven years younger than me. Like, what am I doing here? And like a little bit of panic set in. And I remember then like I went, sat, sat behind him. Like we started talking, chatting and I kind of got over it. And then three weeks later, it was the first class that our TA was in there. And I realized I was three years older than our teaching assistant. And I was like, man, <laughs> I was like, I can't, do, I was like, I started panicking again. So then I'll never forget after our midterm, uh, our first midterm, we went out for beers and the drinking age here is 19 in Ontario. These guys got denied at the bar because they're not of age. And I was like, what is going on right now? And they ended up being great dudes and they're super helpful. And I, and I love to have people that I'm in school with, but going through all this has really kind of, you know, put into panic for me a bit of, like you said, that my friends that I grew up with are in the workforce. So they're going to be four or five years ahead of me wherever, whenever I finish school. And I need to get myself out of my own head that I need to be where they are because like not to be too dark, but like in the end, it's cheesy to say we're all in that box it doesn't matter. Like the, the, our final destination is all the same and I don't need to get myself in a race to get there because what's the rush. You know, if I can just, if I can enjoy life a little bit more and just take my time and, you know, maybe just start benchmarking myself about my own goals, not against other people. Yeah. I love it. That's like, I think it's Warren Buffett quote, but he says, don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 30. Right. Cause there's, you can always find someone that's further along than you. And it's tough when it's your peers. How, how old are you? 25. 25. And you started a, a podcast. It's around the quarter life crisis, right? Is that what it's called? Yes, it is called the quarter life crisis. Talk about, talk about the intention behind starting that podcast and kind of what you guys talk about. Cause it is similar to just what we're talking about right now. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny how like everybody talks about the midlife crisis when you're trying to figure it out. And it is almost this this generational thing because we're going through such a shift collectively and the world is moving at such a fast pace with technology and this exponential growth. It's like, what do we even know what the world's going to look like when we hit midlife? And so it's like confronting these questions and issues at a younger age. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And I think our main thing on the QLC podcast is we don't want people to feel that rush or that need to, you know, graduate high school, attend university or college get married, have kids, and then pay for your kids, like help your kids do all that. That doesn't need to be the model. And we're asking kids at 17 or 18 years old to go to university and pick one thing that they want to do for the rest of their lives. 
I'm 25 years old. I have no clue what I want to do for the rest of my life. Still trying to figure it out over here as well. How are you supposed to ask a 17-year-old kid to pinpoint the one thing they want to do, and then you're going to ask them to spend forty, sixty thousand dollars on it? Mm. You know, and I think that's the problem is we're just forcing kids to make decisions. And I had this conversation with my uh, mom the other day. I said, if I didn't play hockey, did I have an option or was I going to school? And she said, no, you were going to school. There was no option. There was, it wasn't even a conversation. And I think that's the narrative that we're trying to break is especially from like university educated families. If your kids don't want it, like that's not necessarily their realm where they're going to succeed. There's plenty of other ways to succeed in life than going and get a degree. And it's, it's difficult for people. I think people who say like, Oh, well, Elon Musk or like all these people didn't graduate from school and like they're like billionaires and stuff. I think it's a little bit different because they didn't, they quit school because they were literally already becoming so successful that it was just a waste of their time. Mm. But it is an old story, an old, old narrative that, that the, there's so much opportunity. There's so much uh, growth happening. And even with the internet, like it's a different time than when our parents went to school and it was like, you needed a degree to get a job. Like the world is ripe with so much opportunity and there's so much access to information that if you want to learn something, you can go learn it on your own. And it's almost to a point where I feel like school is leaning more towards a detriment, right? You talked about 50, $60,000. So you're going to put yourself in debt. And, you know, really the only, unless you're doing like a trade uh, job, that's something really specific. Like, you know, college, I think really opens you up to like a little bit of the experience of college is a lot more powerful than the actual, like, knowledge that you're learning. Right. And that's the whole, the whole story of university would be, you know, to go contemplate life and, and, uh, and, and, and expand your knowledge in your mind, but it, it's gotten away from that. Right. And how do we shift that, that collective story, uh, and narrative moving forward? Like, what do you guys talk about on the podcast? How do you guys think it can, can shift? We just talk about like not wanting to, to force it. Like if you truly show up every day, the big thing, especially with school I talked about is if you show up to school every day and you don't like what you're learning, why do you think you're going to like the practicalness of it? Like, why do you think when you get in a job setting and you have to apply it, you're all of a sudden going to want to do it. If you're that passionate about it, you're going to want to read that textbook. And I know how silly that sounds, but if you, if you like, like to read, you're going to pick up and read what you like to read. So you're literally going to read I'm going to read an accounting textbook. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like You're crazy. It's no, I know, You're but if accounting. if that's how passionate really I am it. about it. Yeah. So um it's like numbers, that's okay. Yeah, and it's it's like if I want to be successful in that, like I said, like I kind of want to be the best accountant there can be. Mm. I don't want to be the guy that just like kind of scrapes by and is like kind of a slouch. Like I want to go in there and what it's going to do is I understand that accounting is potentially a job that can be very financial benefit beneficial to my future. Mm. And there's something that I like about that. I like, you know, I, I would like to go on vacations. I would like to have a few kids that I can send on vacations and pay for their schooling if they want that, you know? Yeah. I think the whole problem is expecting kids at 17, 18, 19 years old to know, like you talked about what they want to do with their life without even knowing what the world's like living on their own, having any real life experience. Like I'm 32 and, you know, I obviously had the dream of playing football, but after that, it's like, I've, I've changed so much in the last 10 years. Like there's no way 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like no, knowing what I know now after living, like I've, I've kind of worked in and it is all about the journey. It's not trying to figure it out. And I think this false narrative of what success looks like, what happiness looks like, 
uh, making a lot of money. And so people are focused on these, these external things that are going to, they think are going to add value to their life. And, and maybe they might to a certain extent, but they're always kind of fleeting. Right. And it's always about, it's really about the inner journey and figuring out who you are and what you want to do. And in this time and day and age, it's so beautiful that there's so much opportunity that you can create a living for yourself on the thing that you actually enjoy doing. And so really it's about getting clear and figuring out what that is. And I think, you know, before you go to college, if it's something you want to do, like go travel for a year or two, go get out in the world, go figure out what you like, what you don't like before you decide to make that such a commitment, especially financially, but even with time, because the way the world is moving so fast, like four or five years of your life in college, think about how much experience and learning you can do out in the real world before you can actually commit to that and figure out what you want to do. And you're, you're not protected out in the real world. So when something goes wrong, like you're going to learn from that. If you're traveling and I'm pretty sure the States offers it too. I know Canada does like, there's like these working traveling visas where you can just go work in another country for a year or like sometimes up to 18 months. So move halfway across the world, Mm -hmm. learn a new culture, you know, try new food. And it's just, when you start experiencing these new things, you might move to Australia and find some sort of concept that is foreign to Canada work for it there, bring it back here, open it on your own. And it's something you love and you're the most successful person at it. Cause you just stole it. You stole an idea, but you're technically an entrepreneur here, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just, you don't even know. You don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying, but you just like, you just need to experience. Life, yeah. You just need life. to experience new things. And until you literally turn over every stone, like you don't know if you like it or you don't, or if you love it, or if you're good at it, or if you can be successful with it. And we just get jammed in this narrative where people end up working jobs where they just make fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year and they drag their butt to work every day. And it's it's not the best like lifestyle and they hate it and they complain about it. And it's like no one was stopping you from leaving and doing what you wanted to do except yourself. I love it. Yeah. If you guys are interested in talking and listening and having those type of conversations, go check out the quarter life crisis with uh, Hunter here. Uh, really cool stuff. Let's talk about the heart collective um, and the work we're doing. Uh, I'm just so deeply grateful to have you as one of the founding members. You know, it's, I've gone through my own journey into entrepreneurship and the idea of creating um, the heart collective and providing this, this container to figure out, you know, basically answer the question of who am I? And I think that question is really um, prevalent when you walk away from athletics. It's like, who am I without this? And I think the one missing piece, I know the one missing piece is is feeling a part of a community of other athletes who know what that experience is like, because it is so unique. And there is unique challenges with it. And I've gone through my own limiting beliefs and fears around creating this thing. And I remember when I first launched it last November, there's a few guys I was reaching out to and and you're one of the guys that connected with me and I am blown away and so grateful that, you know, you decided to join and you've definitely been a part of, of the growth and the creation of this thing as it continues to evolve and expand. And we've, you know, continued to get new members, but talk about um, how you heard about the heart collective and what really called you into it. And then we can dive into kind of some of the work we're doing within the community. Yeah. So funny enough, actually at the time, I was, I knew I was getting out of hockey and I was, I wanted to travel. I was like, I want to get out. I want to travel. And I said, what's the most efficient way I could do it? And it was building a van. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a van and move. And then I don't know where I would have like saw your article or whatever was going on with you. But at the time you just retired from football, did it at the time I had the eight inch beard going too. And I was like, 
this is my guy. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is me 2.0. So I uh, just got really into like following you. And I was like, kind of, and I remember you got like freedom and I was like, man, like this guy's living the life. Like, how do I do this? And like, we're just kind of like, like to listen to you and like, see what you were like posting and updating. And I know you like tried some ventures, like you got into that, like macadamia nut, like oh, nut butter stuff. Failure, but a lot of yeah. lessons in there. Exactly. And you learn from it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so then I saw that you were starting this heart collective. And for me, I remember the biggest struggle was the first training camp that went through where everyone left and I was at home. And I was like, man, would I like do anything right now just to, you know, show up, throw on my, throw on my sweats and just kind of putz around the room with a coffee, have some conversations, you know, make fun of some guys. And I just didn't have that. And I also didn't have anyone to talk about my feelings with towards that because about missing that because no one that I know can really compare to that. Mm. Um, they don't, they don't know the struggle and they don't, they don't relate. So they would just kind of like, it would fall on deaf ears almost. So when I heard you're bringing a group of collective guys together, I was like, man, like this is something I'd be interested in. So, you know, we linked up and then obviously it just kind of worked out and it's been such a huge help for these last seven months now. It's been a while. Mm, yeah. yeah been we've been cruising. Yeah. It's wild, man. Um, talk about your expectations of, of, you know, when you first heard about it and maybe some of the resistances before joining and like, you know, the idea of like maybe projecting, like, what is it, what are we going to do? Um, and then kind of how that evolved from the expectations, the resistance of joining into, you know, the power that it's had on your life and the work that we're doing within the community. Yeah. Well, I, I think it started with you, Joe, just being our fearless leader and, you know, kind of linking us up on, you know, a zoom call. And it's difficult to stare on a zoom call when you have all these guys where if we all sat in the same room, we wouldn't believe how big we all are, like how much space, like physical space we would take up. And, you know, we're just kind of all behind our computer screens and, it was hard to get loosey goosey at the start. And I was nervous and I was like, I don't know how deep we're going to get. I don't know how spiritual we're going to get. And it's so easy for us to talk about and say, Oh yeah, like this is a safe container and there's no judgment here, but I've talked to you before in the collective. I'm, I don't want to start crying when I start talking about something. Cause I don't want you guys to think that I'm like the young little kid that can't keep it together kind of deal. So I think, I think it was like the second call we were on. Uh, it just loosened up so much and everyone just kind of started meshing and we just realized it was a safe space because, you know, we're so close, but we're so far apart too. So we can just hold space for each other and we can relate to each other. And it's not, it's not like weight bearing on us. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm caring for you and you're caring for me. But like when we leave today, it's like, I got to share with you. You got to give me your reflection vice versa. And then like, we almost like let it go out of our heads and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm. And then you can go about your, the rest of your day and you're kind of not really thinking about it. And yeah. it's like, I got to bounce ideas off guys. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Being able to let it go and not hold on, but just hold space for one another. And that's, I think that's the key and the beauty of the heart collective is it's hard as a former athlete to, to even like going to a therapist or going to a friend or a family member and really just, doesn't even have to be like, Oh, I need therapy, but being able to just share where you're at. And like you said, like them being able to hear you and listen to you and relate to you, there's so much 
power in that. And it's almost like their eyes gloss over because a lot of them are like, oh, why, like, what are you complaining about? You, you played your, 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 a child game sport and you got paid for it. Like, what, what, what's the problem with that? And it's not really about having a problem. It's just about being seen and heard and creating a container of other guys that can actually relate to you. And when they say, oh, man, I feel like I've gone through that, too, you can actually receive that because they know what you're going through. I think that's really the power of the community. And, you know, we do these uh, weekly drop in calls. We call them heart to heart calls. And they're you know, it's not like this deep, vulnerable share. It's just a container and whatever wants to come through and express, you feel seen and heard. And I think that's the real beauty of it. Um, talk a little bit about the power the community's had and like all the the different things. Cause we also provide, uh, do weekly content. Um, we do uh, like weekly challenges. We have a book of the month, um, some stuff that we can kind of all relate and learn and grow together as well. So it's not just this, this uh, facilitated kind of conversation, but it's, this energy of the community that we can kind of do this self-development, spiritual growth, um, learning about ourselves, strengthening our relationships. Um, talk about the the power of the community that it's had on you and in, in, in the different kind of um, value adds that it, that it brings. Yeah. I think the first thing is being part of the community. We're all pretty spiritual in the sense where we're, we're kind of like looking for something and we're like open to it. Like, if I told my dad to go meditate, I don't know. Like he would just be like, no, <laughs> he's not doing it. So we're all already in that realm and we're, we're looking for ways to, to stay present and, you know, keep our physical bodies well. And, um, just when you give us things like prompts, like journal prompts, like we're all going to journal and just making me dive deeper into like places that I didn't know I needed to go. And we talk about like healing and how revisiting old wounds can, you know, really develop you and help with that growth. Cause then you just visit it, you let it go and it's, it's gone. Then, you know, the books of the months, like I'm picking up stuff. Like I never would have thought I read like the monk who sold his Ferrari, uh, you know, like a businessman who just like moved to, you know, like the middle of Tibet or wherever it was. And, um, just so many deep lessons in that. And I think the biggest value add for me is obviously the heart to heart calls, but, um, you know, just, just being able to reflect and be in that safe container and, you know, the masterclasses, being able to have people come in and talk to you about, you know, core healing wounds. Um, and then Adrian Ellison, she talked to us about like, just like the power of energy and the transfer of energy and, these are people that I wouldn't have access to elsewhere. And now I'm provided with that access and, you know, just, it's not really therapy, but like, it just kind of is very therapeutic, but it makes you, yeah, but it makes you look into the mirror and like, it just makes you like self diagnose everything. And I think that's what I really uh, find the best about it is it's making me just kind of dig into myself and dig deeper um, into my own story. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's all about improving self-awareness, I think, for for everybody, right? And I think the the beautiful thing about being in transition is you you are confronted with the question of like, who am I? And these these questions naturally arise. And I think a lot of guys um they they, they struggle in a lot of ways, but it's 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 holding on to the old identity and then not knowing how to process or answer that question, they they either numb out with um, you know, drugs and alcohol could be one of the worst things, but even like not, not knowing what to do with their time, video games, just getting really busy, jumping right into the next 
you know, career, they think that's going to help, but it's really about doing the inner work and showing up. What is some of the the inner work that you've done over the last couple of min- months that have, uh, that have impacted you like in your life and, and helped you? I would say um, the biggest one that came from the Heart Collective and uh, other places too is just simply being grateful um, for the little things. Uh, I know you've talked to, to me a lot about it where you can just sit in front of a meal and not pray over it, but just be grateful for the food that's in front of you and just recognize that like, it's okay to be thankful for it and like where this came from. And I think it's really helped me with my patience being grateful and just realizing that a lot of the little things that we sweat, like literally have no impact on anything. If you just keep going through your day, you're going to be fine. Like there's some that says like, there's like 84,000 seconds in a day. So if like you had $84,000 in your bank account, someone stole 10 bucks from you. Like, would you really care? You'd probably get over it. Yeah. But you know, so you lose 10 seconds of your day to a bad moment. Why can't you just sit there and move on from it? Mm. I love that analogy. That's actually really, really good one. Never heard that one before. I love it. Um, So share a little bit of wisdom for maybe athletes that might be going through the transition, might be struggling, um, trying to figure out, you know, deeper meaning purpose. I know you're still very much on the journey. I'm still very much on the journey. That's one thing I've learned from, you know, the, the transition is not this finite thing, but it's learning how to properly, you know, grieve and honor like the part of us that is, is, you know, got us to where we're at. And there's a lot of deep lessons and growth in that being able to, to, to properly grieve it and honor it and integrate it into who we are. But, you know, going through my own transition, realizing that transition is not something that you all of a sudden go through and you're done. Like there might be some darker, harder aspects to it, but you know, we have a, a, a man that played football in the eighties in our community who's 65 and he shares, I love that he brings so much wisdom to the community and he just shares how he's still very much in transition. Right. And it's about how to properly integrate that experience into who you are and be able to grow from it as a foundation of who you are and not trying to, you know, run from it or, you know, also being able to let go of it at the same, same time. Um, maybe any, any words of wisdom or anybody that might be listening to this podcast that is, uh, is, is in kind of in the, the weeds of it, so to speak. Uh, I would say the biggest thing that's helped me with everything is communication. Because if you're not communicating with someone or like a journal about it, everything is staying internal and it's building and it's building and it's building and it needs to come out. And I think there's so much power in being able to to write down what's going on or to be able to talk to somebody about it because you just, you can almost write it down and it's gone like almost forever. If it's a small thing, like it won't come back up again. But if it's something that's kind of scarred there, just keep writing about it. And eventually you're going to get to the point of what acts actually caused that trauma and you're going to begin moving on from it. And you're not going to carry that weight anymore because if anything, we need to get rid of our stress because everyone is stressed about everything in this Western world. It is crazy. Like there is not a lot of people that are actually okay on the day to day. So I think everyone just needs to, to be able to reach out and communicate. And that's what not everyone has someone to reach out to. That's why I said pen and paper is always a great option. But um, I think that's been the biggest thing that's helping me. And honestly, to speak about that, to not sit behind and think it's not manly to journal or it's 
embarrassing to talk to somebody about things. I guarantee you, if you reach out to someone and start talking about something, like they'll love to spark up the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone thinks we're all going to be judged the whole time, but that's not really the case. Mm. Yeah, we're all so much more alike than we are different. And just having the courage to to get vulnerable with somebody actually gives mm-hmm. them permission to get vulnerable. And um, and it's been really beautiful to witness your growth and being on this journey with you in the Heart Collective. If let's say someone's interested in the Heart Collective, what would you tell them about it? Um, and uh, in your words and in kind of the value that it adds? I would say that it is way less intense than we made it sound today on this podcast. I would say it is, yeah, yeah, it is much more just a chill, a chill group of guys, um, you know, that kind of are all on the same journey and all have the same intentions and, you know, want to better themselves. I think that's the biggest thing I found about everybody in that group is everyone genuinely shows up on the weekly to get better. And I think, the biggest ad it has for me is just that accountability. Not that I'm doing it for you guys, but it just kind of makes me check in and say, am I actually, did I have a better week this week than last week? Am I growing or, or am I not? So I think that's the biggest thing is, um, you know, just that tight knit group of guys being able to, you know, hold space. Beautiful, man. I love it. I'm so grateful to have you on the journey. Uh, where can people find you if they want to, I know we talked about the podcast, but is there any other social platforms, websites, anything else you're working on? Yeah, I think I'm big rig Smith on Instagram and on Twitter. I don't, I'm not really active on Twitter. Yeah. Is that your old, is that your old playing name? That's the old, that's the old nickname. Yeah. Gotta let it go, man. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Hunter, man. I really appreciate the conversation, the time, and I'm stoked about the journey that we're going on together with the heart collective and getting to know you and it's just really beautiful the way you're showing up, man. And, uh, yeah, really stoked about it. Um, if you guys want to reach out to Hunter, all of that, his uh, information and links will be in the show notes and, uh, man, I'll see you in the next heart to heart call, man. Hell yeah. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. right. Huge. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Hunter on so many different levels for coming on and having this conversation for taking a leap of faith and joining the community as one of the first members. Um, Definitely would not be where I'm at with this vision and bringing it into reality without him Um, and just how much value he adds. I think that's the cool thing about community. It's not about any one person, but really trying to create a container where we can all learn and grow Uh, and teach one another and uh, continue to reach higher levels of awareness and um, just really start to go on this journey with him. Um, All of his contact information will be in the show notes. If you want to reach out to him, check out his podcast. Uh, It's really cool what he's doing. Um, Yeah. And leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, share with a friend. Uh, It goes a long way in helping uh, us grow. Also uh, check out the Heart Collective, like I said, and uh, newsletter, all that stuff will be in the show notes. And uh, until next time, peace.